First Peter. Look at a portion from First Peter. This morning we began to discuss what I would call seeking to reach on believers. We looked at a portion of scripture in Colossians. And Colossians dealt with being wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Tonight we want to look at 1 Peter, and I would encourage you as we consider some verses from 1 Peter, and we keep in mind that the overall theme and thrust of 1 Peter is living holy, godly lives in the midst of persecution. People that... Peter is writing to, some of them probably died at the hands of Nero for their faith, or they may have lit up Nero's garden at night. He would burn Christians to light his garden, or they were thrown to the wild animals for sport as people watched them to be, watched them being torn to pieces. In the portion of scripture that is our memory scripture for this month, in chapter 1, 3 through 9, talks about the glorious things that God has given to us in Christ. And he also talks about the trial of faith that his readers were going through. In verse 8, or verse 6 of chapter 1, In this you greatly rejoice, that is, in your great salvation, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So they're going through trials, they're going through difficulties, and overall Peter is saying, here's how to live in this type of world. Verses 13 through 16, he talks about preparing their minds for action, being self-controlled, and so on. And then he goes on to tell them how to live in various types of circumstances. Live in in submission to rulers, to masters. Talks about wives and husbands, how do they respond? He talks about, you know, suffering for doing good. We want to pick up with verse 13 of chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who seeks you or asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah 
while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is going into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. As we think about this passage, Peter gives a contrast. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Now he's posing a question. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Very, very pointed question. Go back to chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Who is going to harm a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God? You may harm the people to whom Peter is writing, but they will declare the praises of God. Go back to chapter 1, a verse we read just a little bit ago. In verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And we result in the praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? You want to know the bottom line? No one. Because what's going to happen? It's going to result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Who is going to harm you when you do good? But. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Now stop and think about the impact of that statement. Even if you're harmed for doing good, you are blessed. Here is one. Tonight, Jeremiah is going to be taken out and he is going to light Nero's garden, along with Ruth Ann and Arlene. And Peter says, Jeremiah, Ruth Ann, and Arlene even if you're going to be burned tonight to like Nero's garden, you're blessed. We don't think that way as humans. The question, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Even if you should suffer for what is right, doing what is right, you're blessed. So because Zach and Sean and Joshua and Luke are some younger guys, they're going to be thrown to the lions to see how long they last against the lions. Because they're Christians. And Peter says, but if you should suffer for what is right, 
you are blessed. Think about that in the context of your life. You suffer for doing what is right. Do you count that as being blessed? So you refuse to cheat for the boss. And he says, bye-bye. Do you count that as being blessed? That's where Peter's coming from. He's giving a contrast. He goes on, and with an exhortation, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. I'm writing to people going through persecution. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, what do unbelievers fear? What are some things that unbelievers fear? Okay, they fear death. They don't even want to talk about it. You'd be amazed at how many people won't even go to the hospital to visit someone because they don't want to be reminded of death, and they go reluctantly to a funeral home or to a funeral. They fear death. What else do unbelievers fear? Pain. Pain. Do you ever think about the pain of being thrown to the lines and being torn apart? What else do unbelievers fear? Loss of their possessions. And keep in mind, the believers to whom Peter is writing lost some of their possessions, taken away from them. So tomorrow, the county commissioners come to Travila and say, Travila, you're out of your house. It's ours today. Why? Because you're a Christian. That likely happened to the saints in 1 Peter. They lost possessions. What else do unbelievers fear? Pardon? Truth. Boy, they really resist that, don't they? But what is one form of truth they can't escape? When a believer is persecuted and they count it as a blessing. One of the greatest times when the gospel seems to flourish is when there is tremendous persecution of believers and they take their persecution with joy and count it a blessing. And the unbelievers can't understand that. What do those people have? Well, they have truth. They have Jesus. They have Scripture, which was mentioned earlier in the book of First Peter. Do not fear what they fear. Do not fear death. Do not fear truth. Do not fear suffering. Do not fear loss of material things. We can list some other items. Do not fear what unbelievers fear. Do not be frightened. One of the greatest testimonies a believer can have in the time of going through physical trials and death is a calmness and a peace. So they say to an unbelieving doctor, an unbelieving nurse, you know, I would like this to hear, but if I don't get this to hear for a while, I go to something better. So if I stay, I win. If I die, I win. So, whichever, 
What's this all about? Well, there's a man by the name of Jesus. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Set apart Christ as Lord. In essence, you're saying, Christ, you're my master. And because you're my master, you're my life, you're all that I have, I live and surrender to you. What may that look like? Go back to verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Set apart Christ as Lord. So here's the people to whom Peter is writing. They're going through persecution. You go through difficulty. You go through pain. That's a time where it's hard to relate well to one another sometimes. You know, we get crabby when we're in pain and so on. We lose our possessions. Well, Scott, how'd you do yesterday? Well, they took all my retirement. It's gone. Someone else wanted it. Why? Because I'm a Christian. Someone says, Sharon, how are you doing? Well, I'm really struggling. Going through a tough time because Ray's going to be burned at the stake tonight. In the midst of all of that, Peter says, live in harmony with one another. Set apart Christ as Lord. Be sympathetic. Respond to Scott. Respond to Darlene. In light of their struggle, love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Verse 9 blows us out of the water. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So Aaron and Brenda are brokenhearted because their sons have been burnt. Or no, thrown to the lions. And a non-believer comes up to Aaron and Brenda and says, boy, I guess you're pretty upset. Your sons were thrown to the lions last night. And Aaron and Brenda say, we have no evil to speak against those in authority over us. We will say nothing evil. You say, that's impossible to do. That is apart from Christ. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. What is this hope that you have? You don't fear death. Can I slap you a couple times to wake you up? What's wrong with you? You don't fear death. No. Well, why don't you fear death? 
Because death is promotion. I'm going to be with my Savior. Is that so terrible? You don't fear the loss of your material possessions. I enjoy having them and I enjoy them because they're God-given. But they don't own me. They're tools for God's glory. You mean to say that if you lose your home because you're a Christian, you can still be content? Yeah, because I have Jesus. Be prepared to give an answer. We don't live in that type of culture. We're not persecuted in that way. But why won't you cheat in a test? So years ago, when the kid behind me tapped me in the shoulder and said, hey, Dan, give me some answers, and the prof was way up front, he probably couldn't even see us anyway. We were that far back in the room. And I said, no, I won't give you any answers. But why? Well, I'm not going to like you as a friend. Well, then don't like me as a friend. You mean to say you'll accept a loss of friendship for not cheating? Yeah, because I set apart Christ in as my Lord. See, that opens doors. We're talking about communicating the gospel through a lifestyle that opens doors. To share Christ. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you of the hope. So you go back a couple years ago, the you know, stock market dropped. It was over, what, 13,000 something, I lose track, and it dropped down to was it almost 7,000. And some people, as someone jokingly said, they didn't have 401ks, they had 201ks. They lost a lot. Do you have a hope? No, and believer says, How's it going? You lost some money, didn't you? Yeah, I lost some money. You mean to say you're not depressed? No, I'm not really depressed. It bothers me, but I have Christ. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason of the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. gentleness. You're giving a reason to the hope that you have. Okay, I lost some of my possessions. My kids were burned at the stake. Some of them were thrown to the lions. Why do you have this hope? It's because of Jesus. Don't criticize those who burned your kids at the stake. Don't criticize those who took your possessions. Respond with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So someone comes up and says, I hear you lost your job. Yeah, I lost my job. Well, why'd you lose your job? Well, I was seeking to be 
honest on the job, and the boss let me go. I bet you're really angry at your boss. No, I'm not. I bet you've been criticizing him to everyone. No, I haven't been criticizing him to anyone. My hope is in Jesus. I'm not out to condemn the boss. My hope is in Christ. What the boss did to me? Hurt? Yeah. It's because of my faith. But I have Christ. He'll provide. Answer with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Why? So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their, ashamed of their slander. They're ashamed that they're slandering you as a Christian, slandering these saints that Peter is writing to, because even when they give a reason for the hope that is within them, they, they do that with gentleness and respect. So Aaron and Brenda are explaining the loss of their sons to the lions. And they're not angry at Nero. They're not angry at the people who came to get their two sons and take them <clears throat> to their death. They respond with gentleness and respect. I better not say too much in this next statement. We might go to meddling. There's many people not happy with our country going to Obamacare. How many of us are responding to that among unbelievers with gentleness and respect? Or do we join with the way unbelievers respond and maliciously attack those in authority over us? Enough said on that. Then he gives some encouragement. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for going, doing evil. If you're going to suffer, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then he gives a reason. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Why is it better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil? Because Christ suffered for doing good. The righteous dying for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And then he goes on to say he was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. You know, he went and preached to spirits in prison. We're not going to go there tonight. You know, and try to explain that. But think about Christianity and sharing the gospel of Christ with this mindset of unbelievers asking concerning the hope that we have. Do we consider suffering for doing good 
doing what is right as being blessed. So you get called into the office of the boss because you did what was right on the job. You get a strong rebuke and a week off without pay. Do you count that as blessed? If you do, unbelievers that you work with, where's he or she get off at? They're wacky? What's going on? And when you come back to work, they'll probably say, hmm, you're really angry and upset. I don't have anything negative to say about my boss. I was blessed. You losing something upstairs? No, I have more than I used to have. I have Christ. That's where Peter's coming from. Blessed for doing right. The way you deal with fear is to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. I've read enough about my physical condition to know that it depends on what direction things could go, that I could die somewhat of a very painful, slow death. Again, it may not happen that way, I don't know, but the possibility is pretty strong. Do I fear that? The unbelievers fear that. How do I respond? One of the greatest fears in this upcoming election is, what's going to happen with the economy? We need to get people in there that are going to take care of the economy. And I'm not saying they're wrong, but one of the reasons is fear. Because if our economy goes, that means my money goes. And none of us want that to happen, including us as believers. But how do we respond to it? Do we fear it? Or are we ready to give a reason for our hope that we have in Christ. In light of 1 Peter, how are some of the ways that they will see the hope that we have? In light of chapter 1, just enduring in trials, not becoming angry, not becoming bitter. Another one would be preparing our minds for action, the way we think. Another one is living as strangers. If you ever traveled to a foreign country, it's always good to come home. But you never feel at home in a foreign country. Because it's not your home, it's not your country. Having been to Peru, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Guatemala, Honduras, Africa. In every one of those countries, I felt just kind of out of sync. Because I wasn't home. Peter earlier talked about that we're strangers here. I notice you don't buy into the system of thinking that the rest of us do. Why? I don't hear you talk about our government any critical negative way. You talk about it and you contribute, but it's not the tearing down critical way. You know why? 
You say that you respect our leaders in spite of some of them being real slobs. I'm speaking from an unbeliever perspective saying that. Why? Give an answer to the reason that you have. In chapter 2, he already talked about the fact that we're to be, and the believers to whom he was writing, to be submission into authority. How would you like to be in submission to the authorities that used your mom and dad, your children's grandparents, to light his garden the night before? Peter says, submit to them. I'm not going to pay my taxes as an hero. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether the king has supreme authority or to governor, governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. That's going to open a door. Yes, we have corruption in Luzerne County. But do we still submit to their authority? We may be able to discuss it, but do we submit? That's going to open doors to speak of Christ. Another way in light of the book of 1 Peter is just a husband-wife relationship. The way wives relate to their husbands following their leadership, submitting to them, husbands, loving, husbands, studying their wives and figuring them out and caring for them. You talk to your husband about what you do and you seek his counsel, yeah. You mean to say you try to understand your wife? All women are just a certain way. No, my wife is unique. She's made in a certain way. I'm coming to understand her. And I try to respond to her accordingly. You don't just tell her how it is? No. I treat her as my counterpart. Open doors to talk about Christ. Sometimes we want to share Christ with unbelievers, and we should. Peter seems to be communicating, let your life be such that your life opens doors, and then you walk through them and give them a reason for the hope that you have. And I'll close with this example. Recently, I was talking to someone, and it was in the context of marriage. This was man talk. No women involved. And as we talked about marriage, we were discussing the gospel. And I said, The longer I'm married, the more I appreciate my wife and the more precious she becomes. 
not because of what she does, but just because of who she is. And the person that listened, thought a while, and the light kind of went on in their head. said, oh, I guess that is true. That marriage is about people, not about what we get. Think about that in the context of Christ. We're falling in love with Christ. We set Him apart as Lord in our hearts. And we just seek to live in light of His Word, whatever may come. And then walk through the open doors that come our way as we relate to unbelievers. For those of you who have animals, I'm not talking a cat or dog that is a pet. Those of you who have animals, other than that, a dog or a pet, or you know someone who had animals, a farmer, can have open doors to talk about Christ by the way he treats his animals. He takes his pigs to market and they're not going out and he says, you stupid rotten pigs, and he starts to beat them. Or he gently responds. All of life lived in surrender to Christ. In light of all that we discussed, I don't think any of us have arrived. If you have, come to me. I will write everything down you say. I will publish a book. I'll give you half the proceeds. We're all in process of living in surrender to Christ. All that I said, I have not arrived at. I don't think any of us have. But just surrendering to Christ and that being the open door to share Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for Christ working in our lives. And it's our desire to be humble, sensitive, and surrendered to you this week. And in weeks to come, may we yield to you and let you open doors for us to share Christ. May we recognize them. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.